everyone. Welcome to the podcast of the Vineyard Church, Chester Springs. We invite you to join our mission to love like Jesus, and you can connect with us on social media or visit our website, csvineyard.org. Now for this week's talk, brought to you by co-lead pastor, Amos Grunendijk. Good morning, everybody. Glad you're here. You guys can open up your Bibles to John chapter 15. The page number on the screen will match the Bibles that are on those back um, carts if you want to follow along. I am just back from Phoenix. I was at the Vineyard National Conference there. A few of you were there as well. I prefer Pennsylvania. Uh, People are not meant to live in the desert. Sorry, the humidity of 30%. I mean, it's warm there. But I don't know. I like I like Pennsylvania. the The main message I think of the conference was that we are here to announce the gospel of the kingdom. That is the way on. That is the the message that we have. Or to put it in slightly different words, we have good news about Jesus' kingship, and the kingdom encompasses like all kinds of things from healing the sick to caring for the poor to enveloping the lonely to working for like biblical justice in the world for showing friendship and yet at the center of all of that is the love of God. Some of our gospels have a hole in them. Actually, I would say all of our Gospels, like all of the the ways that we live out the good news of Jesus has a hole somewhere, but let us not neglect the center, which is the love that God has for us. And the way that God shows his love is unique to every person. So Jesus, when he shows his love to the proud, it looks a little differently than when he shows his love to the humble. We've been watching the Chosen TV series, as well as reading the Gospel of Luke and the Gospel of John, and I bet as you read the words of Jesus that at least once you were surprised by the way he speaks. So if you are a Pharisee, the way that he shows love to you is a little bit sharper than if you are a poor person or if you are someone with skin disease, or even if you are a Roman officer who comes and kneels before Jesus, Jesus meets you a little differently than if you come to him as someone who is proud. Now, we talk about love in church, and sometimes the message can be heard uh, differently than, than the culture would define it. I think the culture has co-opted the word love, and sometimes here in the church we use the culture's definitions for what we mean by love than the Bible's definition. So as you read the Bible, uh, hopefully you don't just quit after Luke and John, just keep reading. I heard someone actually bought an ESV study Bible, which is the study Bible that I really like. I think I use it every week. And she, she finished John, and she's like, so then I just started at the beginning. Now I'm in Genesis. Uh, and, and as you read the Bible, look for how the Bible defines love. I do not think it is the same way the culture defines it. 
The culture's definition of love today seems to be that we must support and accept whatever it is that you do, whatever it is that you choose, to love in the culture's definition is to simply unconditionally support and endorse. I don't think that this is what the Bible means by love. And so we'll start by reading from John chapter 15, and we'll hop to two other passages, and then I'll make some comments. And then to wrap up our chosen series, I have a video from the Vineyard National Conference instead of showing you a clip from the, uh, the chosen TV series this week, because I like the way that this video that we'll show later kind of just wraps things up. So John 15, verse 12, this is my commandment. Love each other in the same way I have loved you. There is no greater love than to lay down one's life for one's friends. You are my friends if you do what I command. I no longer call you slaves because a master doesn't confide in his slaves. Now you are my friends since I have told you everything the Father told me. You've probably heard before that there are four words in Greek that mean love. I'm going to put those four words up on the screen. Eros, or romantic love, is the desire to bring the object of your love and have it for yourself. Uh, Often it's about people, but I guess it could be about pizza too. (laughs) Storge is this family love, uh, sometimes called an empathetic love. This love, just as the Eros love, is never once mentioned in the New Testament. Storge seems to be alluded to, uh, but actually when Paul uses a word like storge, he, he jams it together. He makes up his own word where he combines storge love with philia love, which is actually very profound. Philia love being the friendship love. So when he talks about the community or the church that is founded on the person of Jesus, he, he uses the word family love and friend love and says, that's what your love in one sense for each other looks like. But the love that the Bible uses most often, and actually before the Bible is written, the agape love in the ancient Greek usage is is very undefined. It's very generic. So it is the Bible, or more specifically the person of Jesus, that gives definition to agape love. When you read the word agape in the Bible, you are always finding references to the sacrificial love of Jesus where he lays down his life for his friends. That is at the core. That is at the center of the good news about Jesus' kingship. Agape love is sacrificial love. Let's jump now to, let's do Romans chapter 12. That's not the same order as I had the slides in. But the people who run slides here know that I don't necessarily go in the order of the slides as I prepare them. How does the Bible define love? Romans 12 verse 9. This is Paul writing. Don't just pretend to love others. Really love them. Hate what is wrong, hold tightly to what is good. Love each other with genuine affection and take delight in honoring each other. 
I don't know if you noticed what just happened. We have a love sandwich. What's in the middle of the sandwich? Hate what is wrong. Hold tightly to what is good. You see how that doesn't jive with the culture's definition of love? Support me no matter what. If I want to do it, then it's right. Then it's good. 1 John chapter 3, verse 16. Not to be confused with John 3.16, which is kind of about the same thing. This uh, John is the same John who writes the gospel where we started. 1 John 3, verse 16. We know what real love is because Jesus gave up his life for us. So we also ought to give up our lives for our brothers and sisters. If someone has enough money to live well and sees a brother or sister in need but shows no compassion... How can God's love be in that person? Dear children, let's not merely say that we love each other. Let us show the truth by our actions. Our actions will show that we belong to the truth. So we will be confident when we stand before God. Our actions will show that we belong to the truth. I want to first talk about love in saying what love is not. First of all, love is not primarily an emotion. Loving someone leads to these incredible emotions that include joyous rapture and also if you love someone, you can expect that there will also be grief and sadness and pain. And so to confuse love with that joyous rapture is not what the Bible means by love. Love, as we find here, has actions to it. Love includes giving to the poor. Love includes the choice to lay down your life. Love is not the same thing as agreeing with what someone does or says, Love is being willing to take a bullet for that person, even if they don't agree, or even if you don't agree with what they do or what they say. Second thing that love is not, love is not proud. Some of you know 1 Corinthians chapter 13. That's another verse in the Bible we could have read. But if you've been to a wedding recently, which I realize is probably not many of us, but I was at a wedding recently and uh, I read... 1 Corinthians 13, and right in there, it says, love is not proud. So be cautious if love and pride are associated to each other. Because love is not self-seeking. Another way to put this is love comes with humility. Love desires the good of other people. Love wants to connect those people to the life of Jesus. Love is not proud. The final thing is that love is not without boundaries. That's kind of a double negative, I realize. So, so in other words, you can love someone and still set boundaries around what 
you're willing to do or to accept. So uh, I have a little girl named Isla. She's two. And she's gotten into this really fun stage where she's really excited about family time. And so yesterday morning, which, okay, we had a, morning isn't the right word for it because we're a little jet lagged. Yesterday at about 2 p.m., which felt like morning, (laughs) we were making pancakes. And she brings out a flipper and she hands it to me. And she's got a second flipper in hand. She, She says, it's family flipper time. And so we made pancakes together, but yet, you know what making pancakes together means when you're making pancakes with a two-year-old? That means, Isla, don't touch that. <laughs> Isla, keep your hands away. Because I know that if she gets too involved in the making of pancakes, that's going to end badly. <laughs> it's going to end in a burned finger, and she's going to scream. She, didn't, she wouldn't know what, she, what would happen but it's actually like my job to set a boundary and say like, no, you need to keep your hands away. And I'm not saying that we treat adults like children. I'm not saying that at all. But like you are able to set boundaries for yourself when you love people. That is also different than saying, well, I'm going to love you and not you. No, like the love of God, the sacrificial love of God is a love that extends toward everybody. But remember the love sandwich. Love, go after what is good, cling to what is good, and hate what is wrong. So what is love? We've talked about how love is self-sacrificial. That is the center of it, the agape love. The second thing is that love has a commitment to the truth. Remember when Jesus says, I have called you friends, it is because in this sense, in John 15, that I or he has revealed what the Father has told him to his disciples. I have communicated the truth of the message to you. This is one of the reasons I can call you my friend is because I have spoken the truth to you. 1 John chapter 3, Dear children, let us not merely say that we love each other. Let us show the truth by our actions. I thought about having this one be called love as a verb, but I'm like, I think, I think someone used that before, and I remember, like, that was a 90s thing, love is a verb. But that is, that is true. Like, love is not love unless it is an action. Like, love without action is dead. Love cannot be uh, cultivated or shown in isolation. Love actually proves its mettle when you're in community with people that annoy you or with people who are not like you, or with people who need something from you. One of the ways that love shows up is through hospitality, which is, again, referenced here in 1 John chapter 3. There is a uh, a letter from the second century that is describing what early Christians are like, like earlier, early followers of Jesus. And it's, uh, it's written to a man named Diognetus or Diognetus. And what it says in this letter is, for a Christian, the bed is sacred. In other words, uh, the bed is closed to everybody but the person you're married to. Like Eros <laughs> is meant for one person. And that's a person you've made a commitment to. 
The bed is closed, but the table is open to everyone. The hospitality of God means that the table is open to everyone. And as people who love like Jesus, who want to not only experience God's love, but show that love to the world, it means that our hospitality must know no bounds. It must be far-reaching, whether that table is open to the poor or to someone that annoys us a little bit. The love of God is self-sacrificing. It desires the good of all people. It opens the table. And so I want to show this video. It's, it's actually pretty long. Um, it's something like 16 minutes. But I mentioned that I was jet-lagged a little bit. <laughs> so this is, this is one of the ways. But I also... Uh, I feel like it's worth sharing a little piece of the conference with you guys. And this was from a morning session, and uh, it involved a, an interview with Jay Pathak, our new national director, um, and Tim Mackey, who some of you may recognize from the Bible Project. Have you ever watched any Bible Project videos? So it's going to actually start with a Bible Project video, and then you'll recognize who Tim is because of the voice uh, <laughs> during the interview. So then the guy who, whose voice is not in the Bible project, that's Jay. And so they, they sh we, we watched the Bible project video at the conference, and then we heard Jay and Tim kind of unpack what the gospel of the kingdom looks like in our context, in our day. What does it look like to bring the, the good news about Jesus' kingship to the world? And so uh, I wanted to share that with you as a way to wrap up our chosen TV series. Uh, and it'll, in some ways, I think, bridge the gap with where we're going next. So in November, we'll be, I'll be teaching from one chapter in Isaiah, Isaiah 60. Oh, what do you know? It's a, it's a great chapter. Somebody said they were just reading that, so we're going to spend three whole weeks in Isaiah 60, and then in Christmas, we're going to do something crazy. <laughs> so for Advent, we're going to do a Revelation series, like the book of Revelation. So we'll, we'll go from Jesus, like the, the life of Jesus, the Gospels, to Isaiah 60, to Revelation, and it actually all, it all will tie together. It's like one builds on the next. And actually, I almost feel like all this is building on the Leviticus series we did in the summer. So there's, I think, I mean, this has been a lot of fun. And uh, enjoy this video. I'll be back after the video to just say one more little thing. There's this beautiful poem. It's in the book of Isaiah. The city of Jerusalem has just been destroyed by Babylon, a great kingdom in the north. And all of these Jewish people, they've been sent away into exile, but a few remained in the city. And they're left wondering, what just happened? Has our God abandoned us? Right, because Jerusalem was supposed to be the city where God 
would reign over the world to bring peace and blessing to everyone. Now Isaiah had been saying that Jerusalem's destruction was a mess of Israel's own making. They had turned away from their God, become corrupt, and so their city and their temple were destroyed. Yeah, everything seems lost. But the poem goes on. There's a watchman on the city walls. And far out on the hills, we see a messenger, and he's running towards the city. He's running, and he's shouting, good news. And Isaiah says, how beautiful on the mountains are the feet of those who bring good news. Beautiful feet? Yes. The feet are beautiful because they're carrying a beautiful message. What's the message? That despite Jerusalem's destruction, Israel's God still reigns as king, and that God himself is going to one day return to this city, take up his throne, and bring peace. And the watchmen sing for joy because of the good news that their God still reigns. Now in the New Testament, we find this same phrase, the good news. It's the Greek word euangelion, and it's also sometimes translated with the word gospel. So when Christians say, do you believe the gospel, they mean, do you believe the news? But not just any news. In the Bible, this phrase is always about the announcement of the reign of a new king. And in the New Testament, the Gospels use this phrase to summarize all of Jesus' teachings. They say that he went about proclaiming the good news of God's kingdom. So Jesus saw himself as the messenger, bringing the news that God reigns. Yes, but the way that he described God's reign, it surprised everybody. I mean, think, a powerful, successful kingdom. It needs to be strong, able to impose its will, able to defeat its enemies. But Jesus said the greatest person in God's kingdom was the weakest, the one who loves and who serves the poor. And he said that you live under God's reign when you respond to evil by loving your enemies and forgiving them and seeking peace. This is an upside-down kingdom. Now, Jesus also said that this kingdom was arriving with him. Yeah, so for example, there's this really interesting story where there's a high-ranking Roman officer, and he comes to Jesus begging him to heal his servant. And he even calls Jesus his Lord, acknowledging that Jesus is his authority. Jesus praises this man for recognizing what no one else yet had, that not only was Jesus announcing God's kingdom, he was the king. And so the word gets out that this Jewish man from Galilee is talking and acting like he's the king of Israel. He's appointing 12 disciples, which are an image of Israel's 12 tribes. He's healing people forgiving people their sins. And all of this so threatened Israel's leaders that they finally decide to have him killed. And Jesus let them. Yeah, which is a weird thing to do if you're trying to become king. That's right. But for Jesus, this is what had to happen. Jesus saw the sin and the devastation of his people Israel as just one small part of the entire human condition. How all humanity has rebelled against God, resulting in the tragedy and devastation of our whole world. So how is God going to bring his reign over such a world? Jesus believed it would be through an act of sacrificial love for his enemies. This is why in the Gospels, Jesus' crucifixion is depicted as his enthronement as the king of the Jews. Yeah, he receives a crown. He also receives a robe. He's exalted up, not onto a throne, but onto the cross. How beautiful are the feet that bring good news. And the good news now is that Jesus has defeated 
death and that he reigns as king, that he's dealt with our sin and corruption himself and that he's conquered it with his life and with his love. And then Jesus sends his followers to go out and keep announcing this good news of the upside-down kingdom. And to invite everyone to give their allegiance to him, the king who defeated death with his love. I love this video. Mm. It's beautiful. I mean, to watch, it's beautiful. They're all beautiful. Yeah, sure. But this is beautiful in a really unique way. Uh, yeah, I agree. You know, actually, this the Gospel of the Kingdom video is my personal favorite of all the, the ones that we have ever made. It was an early video in the project, but um, it, it captures something about both the biblical story, but the heartbeat of Jesus and his inversion of our sets of value and power and what we care about in a way that's just this is something about Jesus that's always captured my imagination and my heart and this video does it better than I could ever talk about it because mm. it had brilliant artists involved I'm with you I, you, you like it too I appreciate <laughs> this that's all that I'm trying to say is that I really I'm like glad this, you like it and, and say too. more about that so you just said it now but that you say it throughout but the pictures of how weakness is strength and yes. strength is weakness and, yeah. and how power gets inverted and mm-hmm. And that that's good news somehow. Yeah. yeah, yeah <laughs> like, totally. hey, good news. Yes. Uh, the ways that you've Man. seen this. I mean, well, that's... yeah. So one is the, the, um, the story of Jesus in this, the first or last, the greatest is the, is the servant. Those are Jesus' just shorthand ways of, of saying something that he was embodying and living. Um, and uh, this is nowhere more evident to the two visits he has with the most powerful people in the whole story of the Gospels, which is a Roman governor um, and the high priest. Um, And you can just tell from both of his encounters that he could have cared less about their status. He could care. He barely even talks to them. Carpenter's son. (laughs) And when he does, he kind of sticks it to him, you know? And so the people that he actually very clearly cares about um, are poor people with back pain, you know, and widows who just lost their children and people with skin disease. And that's what Jesus values. And, uh, you know, as many challenges as people have with Christianity and the church, um, I've yet to meet somebody who, when they see that portrait of Jesus, they don't, they aren't moved by it. There's something beautiful there. Mm -hmm. Um, and that brings to, uh, it's bringing to a culmination, a whole theme all throughout the Hebrew scriptures too, about when humans redefine what is good and bad in their own eyes, we create these artificial systems and cultures of value and status and power. And um, the God of the Bible just loves to stick it to us. <laughs> and he'll scatter Babylon and because they're trying to make a name for themselves. And then he'll take this no name out of that scattering and say, Abraham, I'm going to give you a great name. Uh, and, and that's that inversion. Um, it's the same thing like with Han- the story, beautiful story of Hannah in Samuel where um, she's not able to have any children. Um, and uh, his, her husband's other wife is able to have a lot of children. And um, when God enables Hannah to become pregnant, she sings this song about how God's turning the world upside down and scattering the proud. And it's that. 
it's that theme that um, the God of, of the Bible um, is on a mission to help us see what true power and value and status is. And it's precisely in the release of power to um, serve for the good of others. And what, else, what, a, what better summary of the story of Jesus is there? And uh, so that's what we're trying to capture in this video. Yeah. And, and it's uh, good news somehow. I mean, that's yeah, well, yeah. that's good news. <laughs> well, it's interesting. You know, it, it depends on the side of the, the tracks that you're well, on. Exactly. Guess, right. Yeah. Um, yeah. For people who don't have anything to lose, it's great news because, uh, you know, for the for the widow who just lost her son, for the for the woman who had bent bent over for all those years that he healed. I mean, these are people who they didn't just have back pain or you know suffering. These are people also who would have been because of their ritual impurity in Jewish culture, and that's a whole other rabbit, rabbit trail, but they, it would have cut their access off to the temple for a season. And so Jesus, he's creating communities where people are, are finding reconnection to other people and to God's presence in ways that their cultural boundaries had, had kept them apart. And so for people who have, don't have much to lose, it's just, it's a huge upgrade, <laughs> this, the, the inverted power system. But the people that have things. But to a, a high priest and to a Pontius Pilate, well, it's a threat, which is, Jesus sure didn't get killed for telling people to, like, love your neighbor as yourself. You know what I mean? He got killed for sticking it to the high priest and saying, um, you're going to see me ruling uh, a little while from now. And he wasn't talking about, like, a military coup. He was talking about the moment that he would give up his life and take up his crown and robe on the cross and assert his power, which was to give up his power. And uh, um, that's the, it's the heartbeat of what is the good news about Jesus. So I guess so here's the question is, um, you know, if I'm immersed in a culture of honor and status and self-made Whatever. Do you mean a place like America? A place like America. <laughs> like, like the place where we live. Uh, but it raises the question, like, what, what actually is good news? Um, is it like, hey, you know, I've got, the, like, these three tips to help you be more productive so that you can get that promotion. Um, your life might be a little better for a bit until you have no work-life boundaries and you're, you're all of a sudden... You know, whatever, just really unhealthy trying to make a name for yourself in your company or your career or whatever. And so maybe it actually is good news to realize that when I release my name and I release my power, what I discover is, is that I am more loved by my creator than I could possibly imagine. Um, and it has nothing to do with my status. So this gospel is good news to the poor, inverts strength and weakness, reorients how power works. So that's lived. How are we heralds of this gospel? How do we proclaim this good news? Well, yeah, no, that's, yeah, it's a great, um, it's, a, it's the question, right? If you're involved in a local church, much less trying to help lead and guide one. These things that we just talked about, however, um, 
if the structure and form, if the social form of my community is communicating another story about power and status, you just have to step back and ask, like, are we ever going to be compelling to anybody, even ourselves, that we are actually a community of this, of this good news? Um, I don't know, man. I, I'm, and, I, and I say this as somebody who's, like, trying to help lead an organization that's sharing the story with the world, and so are you through a, church set, a network of church communities, um, but, you know, we're in a culture that, of leaders that is addicted to our name and spreading our name and celebrity and um, the social media devolution, <laughs> in my opinion, mm-hmm. has a, it's, it's a pandemic, uh, another kind of pandemic uh, that's, that's ruining all of us. And I, I don't know how, but it's, it seems to me we all individually and in our communities need, need, desperately need um, to find ways to make sure that the medium is as much the message, yeah. that the, the way our lives and communities are actually structured and do the things that they do actually are in sync with the value set of, G- of the story of Jesus. And when that disconnect grows... It just becomes, it becomes very obvious, especially to non-religious people. They usually catch on a lot more quickly than people in religious communities that can't see that disconnect. We need authority to proclaim. Yes, yeah, that's, yeah, that's right. But, what, but that authority is c- integrity. <laughs> I mean, it's just that our lives and communities actually match this inverted good news uh, that weak is strong and that poor is rich. And that fame is about not being famous. And, um, yeah, that's, it's very counterintuitive, uh, probably right now in Western and in American culture more than ever, I think. You know, the, the leaders that, that I am looking to and admire who are doing it best right now, uh, to the T, are leaders that give away authority and that decentralize themselves and highlight the stories and the talents and the abilities of other people, and while also making their own contribution. And uh, it's challenging to me, and I, my hunch is something like that is much more in sync with the kind of communities that Jesus envisioned in living out this good news. You get the sense that... Uh... Some people in the room are feeling really tender right now. Um, and maybe there are some people feeling defensive too. But I think the invitation is an invitation to step toward Jesus wherever you are, whether you be proud or humble. And I'd like to wrap this chosen series by reading from Luke chapter 4, which is a a well-known passage that I read from time to time. When Jesus came to the village of Nazareth, his boyhood home, he went as usual to the synagogue on the Sabbath and stood up to read the scriptures. The scroll of Isaiah the prophet was handed to him. He unrolled the scroll and found the place where it was written. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, 
for he has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim that captives will be released, that the blind will see, that the oppressed will be set free, and that the time of the Lord's favor has come. He rolled up the scroll, handed it back to the attendant, and sat down. All eyes on the synagogue looked at him intently. Then he began to speak to them. The scripture you've just heard has been fulfilled this very day. If you jump down to the end of the chapter, he is doing uh, miracles and people beg him to stay in their town. But he replies, I must preach the good news of the kingdom of God in other towns too, because that is why I was sent. So I would invite you to stand. And I would invite you to examine your own heart and attitudes and actions. Let me say that again. I would invite you to examine your own heart, your own attitudes, and your own actions and see where the hole in your gospel is. And that is not a call to repentance that is meant to load more weight on your shoulders. I think as I reflect back on my time away at the Vineyard National Conference, the, the main thing that happened is so much that felt so heavy a week ago has been lifted off. And so in your own step toward Jesus, there's going to be, I think, a turning, a repentance, an acceptance, but also a release of burden and a gift of freedom that wasn't there before. And so, again, if you would just reach out your hands to open yourself up, like in your body, to say, come Holy Spirit. bless this moment. Come and speak to us. Come in your power. Thanks again for listening to the podcast of the Vineyard Church, Chester Springs. We hope you share this with your friends and family and subscribe on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. See you next time.